This morning, guys, we are going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our little ones that you have blessed us with, Lord, that they are here worshiping with us this afternoon, God, that they are learning your word, Lord, that you are pressing it upon your hearts and that we are just going to see your work in their lives, Father. It is such a beautiful and amazing thing. God, I thank you for this body that you have brought before yourself, Lord, that we can look to you and see a loving Abba, a loving dad, God, who isn't just a Lord, but is a friend and a counselor. I thank you for everything that you are, Lord, and everything that you've been doing for us in this season. I ask that as we go to you this morning, Lord, that your spirit would fill us, that you would give us supernatural understanding of your word, Lord, that it would penetrate our hearts and change our very nature, God. I pray that any corruption that is within us, Lord, that we would offer this up to you, Lord, and that you would heal us, that you would forgive us, Father. And I thank you that as I ask for these things, I know that you will answer them. That you are a sure God, a loving Father, that you are loving and merciful and steadfast. We praise you so much, God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eli. I am excited to see all of you kiddos here with us today. Um, I am uh, thankful that we get to worship as families today. I want to encourage you to uh, to look forward to these Sundays. It's easy to sort of, uh, it, it's easy as a parent, especially if you're used to sending your kids to kids church to be to feel inconvenienced on a day like this. And I get that. I totally get that. While at the same time, I want to encourage you to uh, to embrace the uh, uh, these Sundays where we have family worship together. Um, we're intentionally, if you didn't notice in the music, we're intentionally trying to. Um, include kids in both in the music to uh, have a, a little bit more simple songs on these Sundays. I'm going to intentionally try to engage the kids in the message, and we want to encourage you guys as a family not to just come in and do this. Um, one of the things that I'm so thankful here that I have I don't see happen is parents don't uh, generally here say, "Oh, here here's something you can do in the service to disconnect your brain from the from the message." No, they they help their kids engage. That's why we have the kids. Uh, worship outlines. That's why we have the uh, the different things like this. Kids, I want to, before we get started, I want to tell you a few things that we're going to talk about this morning. 
This morning, we're going to talk about confession, all right, a little bit. Now, the word confession, you might have heard before. You might have heard it in the terms of like in a court where a criminal confesses what they've done. When they confess, what do they do? They say what they really did. They say like, so oftentimes somebody might lie and then later they come back and they confess, oh, I did this bad thing or I, I confess this. Confession, confession doesn't just have to mean bad things, but it means telling the truth about you. All right, confession means telling the truth about something you are doing or have done. So if you confess Jesus is Lord, you are telling the truth that he is your Lord. But if you confess the truth that you ate all the Oreos last night before bed, you are confessing uh, something that you, uh, telling the truth about something you, uh, you, you did um, in that way. So this is the word confession, to tell the truth about. And the, other, the other word we're going to talk about is prayer. And you guys all have probably heard the word prayer. But the word prayer means talking to God, talking to God. That's as simple as it is. We pray when we talk to God. Now, we're going to talk a lot about prayer and confession this morning. It's going to take us a little while to get there because we're going to work through the context of this verse. But before we do that, we believe that God can and will use his prayers to genuinely make a difference in the world. And if we believe that, then I want us to start this morning uh, um, in prayer. And I want us to do something we don't normally do. I don't normally interrupt my sermons for a specific time of prayer. But this, uh, um, for me and and really Jillian, um, these past couple days have been just interesting for us because we've seen a lot of our friends, a lot of people we love, we care about, people we've served alongside, people who who we, we have a deep affection for, and they're struggling right now. And the Bible says, when you, 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 uh, you rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep, you mourn with your brothers and sisters who are hurting right now. And many of our brothers and sisters are friends who are in Israel, both our Palestinian friends and our, and our Jewish friends are struggling right now. They're going through a really difficult season. And if we believe that prayer changes things, if we believe that God uses prayer, the prayers of his people for his glory to transform things, then this morning, I want us to take a moment and I want us to pray. Um, and we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to lead us in a, in a prayer for Israel, for this conflict that's going on. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you, God, not knowing, not knowing all the things, but Lord, knowing what we, for what we do know, Lord, our hearts are broken. Lord, we see wickedness, we see brokenness, we see destruction, we see sin abounding. And Lord Jesus, our heart rightly aches at that. Lord, we rightly want to see that in. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that God, by the power of your spirit, Lord, that whatever means necessary, Lord, I pray that, God, you bring an end to this conflict as soon as possible. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering right now. Lord, I pray for those who've been abducted. I pray for those who've been hurt. I pray for those who are wounded and for the families of those who've lost their lives in this war. Lord, I pray that, God, you would comfort them. Lord, that you would draw near to them this morning. God, that, you, that they would experience your goodness. And, Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, you would reveal to yourself to them in a special way. Lord, I pray for the believers in Israel during this season, Lord, that they would be salt and light, Lord, that their faith would be unshakable, Lord, that they would show and share the gospel of grace in everything they do. Lord, I pray specifically for my friends who are in the military, Lord, I pray that, God, you would help them as they approach this conflict to do it soberly, to do their duty well, and to glorify you in how they serve. Lord, I pray for the churches. Lord, I pray for Bashara and Randa, our missionaries there. Lord, I pray that, God, you would comfort them 
Lord, that you would, Lord, that you would protect them from Hezbollah's missiles. Lord, I pray that God, Bainey, Lord, the church in Bainey, Lord, would be protected. Lord, I pray, God, for all the pastors and all the, all the missionaries there who are serving. Lord, I pray that, God, you would, uh, you would protect them as you would see fit. But, Lord, I know that, God, they go to you holding their lives in their uh, open-handedly saying, God, to live as Christ and to die as game. But, Lord, Lord, we do ask, God, for protection. Lord, I, I pray, God, for the pastors of, of the congregations there. Lord, both Arabs and, and Jewish, Lord, that they would uh, truly help their people, God, to not move towards some sort of sectarian hatred, but Lord, to, to genuinely pray for justice, to genuinely pray for holiness, to abound, Lord, to genuinely pray for all these things, but Lord, to be people, the people of God who show the aroma of Christ in all they do, even in the midst of conflict. Lord, I ask that, God, you would bring peace. God, that you would end this war. Lord, that, God, you would, you would uh, bring a peace that goes beyond God, just a ceasefire, but, Lord, a genuine peace, Lord, where these peoples can genuinely be engaged with the gospel well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why do we pray? Why do we confess? Why is this something um, that Paul exhorts us to do in this text? Like, think about it this way. If God is sovereign in doing his will on the earth, then why is it that we should pray? Many of you kids probably have had this question. Many of you adults probably have this question like, why am I even really praying if God's going to do what he's going to do? What's the point of praying? Some of you, you might say, if God's already forgiven me of my sins, why should I confess my sins to someone else? If God's forgiven me, what's the point? It seems like if it's been forgiven, then there's no point in confessing my sins to one another. Maybe you have other questions about this. And today, um, we're hopefully going to answer some of that. We're going to talk through what is, uh, what is confession, biblical confession, what is biblical prayer, why do we do it, and then how do we do it. So let's start with the context. Um, we've been doing this one another series as we've been going through, and I, I've, I've confessed to my small group that I find it difficult to preach through the one another series. Not because I don't like it, but because uh, uh, every week we're, it seems like we're in a new book. So every week I have to get reacquainted with that book, understand that book's context, understand and the arguments that have been building up to this point, so that when we get to this text, we're not just taking this text in, in an isolated form, but we're seeing it in, the, in view of the whole text and really in view of the whole Bible. So let's look at the book of James, where we are. James, as the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, he is, uh, he is uh, 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 the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Um, this book is very, very pastoral. And what I mean by this is it focuses on practical, lived-out theology. But James doesn't really mince his words. He doesn't use a lot of highfalutin speech. No, James gets right to the heart of the matter. And he, he focuses on orthodoxy and orthopraxy. He's really focused on practical theology. Not, not only, like I said, is he pastor, pastoral and, uh, um, and uh, pra- practical, but he also is, uh, I think, a master of layered meaning. Meaning, uh, uh, he will oftentimes say something, and at first glance, it means one thing. But as you study it more and as you look at, more, at it more, you'll see that there's another layer of truth underneath it. Oftentimes, there's a spiritual subtext to a lot of the things that, that he is saying. And he's intentionally saying the things that he says in the way that, they, that, that you hear them. And sometimes they sound provocative. And I think, like a good teacher, oftentimes, James, a, a good pastor, James doesn't uh, uh, James will use uh, provocative language to evoke a response to help you see a truth clearly and faithfully. So 
We're at the end of this book. We're starting in verse 13. So let's just dive right into this text. James, like I said, he's been going through a lot of things um, up till now. I don't want to get super into it, except he's dealt with like all sorts of parts of the Christian life. Coming into verse 13, he says, Is any of you suffering? Let him pray. Is any of you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let's start there. Verse 13 says, if you're suffering, or, or that, that word literally means under affliction, if you're feeling under affliction, he says, uh, first and foremost, you go to the Lord in your affliction. Oftentimes our first reaction is to not go to the Lord, is to go to all everything that might fix our problem rather than going to the one who can and will uh, uh, transform our view of our problem and sometimes even transform our problem, but we oftentimes go straight there. Then he says, if any of you is courageous, that's the word youth emeo in, uh, in, in Greek, and that, that means cheerful or courageous. Uh, it literally means good passion. That's the idea. Um, and, uh, and he says, if you're, if you're feeling of good passion or courageous in this way or cheerful, let you sing praise. That word praise there is the word salos, which, uh, which is very clearly um, from the word psalms. It's the idea that we should, in the midst of our affliction, and in the, midst, in the midst of our cheerful times, our good times, we should draw near to Christ. So in your, in your affliction, draw near to Christ in prayer. Go to him in prayer, so, asking him to meet you in this space, asking him to use this suffering for his glory, asking him to alleviate this suffering at this time if he would see fit. And in your cheerfulness, draw near to Christ in praise. In all things, in every, every, and no matter what we're doing, we draw near to Christ. I want you to think of this. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you guys have a person like this in your life. A person who really only ever comes around when they need something. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life? Maybe some of you are like, that's my adult children. You don't need to point at them. Um, but but they, they only really come around. They only really call when they need something or something like this. I think sometimes it can be easy for us as followers of Jesus to kind of fall into this pattern with God. The only time we really draw near to the throne of grace, the only time we really um, look to draw close to Christ is when we find ourselves in suffering or in need and we go with our hands out and say, God, please help me. And in those times of cheerfulness, rather than singing praise to God and recognizing that these are good gifts from him and this is a good season from him and praising him for that and singing songs of praise during that time, oftentimes we just sort of uh, blank out during that time. But God is saying in, all, in, in every situation, we, we, we should seek to draw near to him, to draw close to him. Now let's get, let's get into some of the meat of the text. These are some of the, this is some of the harder stuff as we get into. Is any of you sick? Now, um, or, or is anyone sick among you? That's where verse 14, it says um, this. Now, that word sick there is the word astheneho, which means, uh, which means uh, a, a weak or feeble. That's what it means literally, weak or feeble. Now, uh, the Bible uh, translates this, to, uh, to be physically weak about or, or ill or sick about uh, 19 times in scripture and about 14 times it's used to talk about somebody who's in a emotional or moral state of feebleness or weakness. So this is, once again, we talked about Paul, uh, uh, I mean not Paul, um, James is the master of a double meaning. He uses this word on purpose because it has both the, the meaning of physical sickness but also the meaning of spiritual or emotional um, uh, of weakness or, or feebleness in this. So he's saying, if any of you guys find yourself weak or feeble or sick, if you will, both either uh, emotionally, spiritually, or physically, then he says, let him call the elders of the church. 
Now that word um, uh, call near, it's just the word proskaleo, uh, which means uh, specifically to invite them, to invite them in. We talked about last week about parakaleo, which means to invite beside. This is like to invite them or to summon them, to call them to yourself. He, um, he is saying, hey, basically, if you're struggling, if you find yourself in a spiritually weak place or a physically weak place, and you, uh, um, he says, reach out to your elders. Now, I want you to get this. As a pastor, I don't always know when people um, in, uh, are struggling in this place. I don't always know when somebody is in a place where they are emotionally weak or, or when they are physically weak. I try to know, and I try to reach out when I do know, but I don't always know. And sometimes you, you can expect that uh, um, people expect things that they haven't actually shared, and they expect uh, us to kind of know. But if you find yourself in a place of weakness, the Bible is making it clear. Reach out and call for the elders of the church. Invite me in. I will, I will gladly come and I will gladly pray for you. It says that, that word elders there, that's the word presbyterios. Why, do, why call the elders? Well, these are people who are called by God and called by the church to shepherd those, uh, those in the flock. And part of what a shepherd does is helping those who are enfeebled. It also, um, pa- pastors are meant to be people who are, are ministers of the word, who have good biblical discernment. And oftentimes, a pastor coming and praying with you and listening to you and hearing what's going on, they can help untangle your sickness, especially if it's something that has to do with emotional, spiritual stuff. And they can counsel you in your weakness. It says, let them pray over and anoint them with oil. So let's, let's, let's understand what elders are praying over. Let's start with that first. When an elder is praying over you, what are they praying for? Number one, they're praying that um, for, if you're physically ill, they're going to be, I'm going to be praying, and any elder would, should be praying for your physical healing. Not, not believing that your physical healing is the be-all, end-all, but it is, it is okay and right to pray that God would alleviate human suffering. If you're around somebody who is struggling and in in, in suffering in a pretty significant way, God can and will, um, for his glory at times, bring physical healing in that situation. So that's something we as elders should be praying for. We also pray for their, their, hearing spirit, uh, their healing spiritually. If people are struggling and they have emotional difficulties and lots of things connected to this, um, we'll do that. And also we pray for new life or salvation. Because we believe that prayer changes things. Now, we'll get to that as we get a little further into this text. Because he'll, he'll explain how prayer changes things as we go. Then it says, anoint their head with oil. The picture here of anointing with oil. I don't know if you have any of you kids have ever had this happen. Have you ever, um, have you ever had, like, I don't know, uh, uh, maybe you've been sick and there's been, somebody's put maybe, a, like, uh, when we were down in Florida, we got, uh, well, all of us kind of got sunburned. How many, when you go down to Florida, any of you guys, or down in the lower 48, any of you guys forget that the sun is nearly as hot as it is down there compared to here? We got sunburned pretty bad, and uh, we got a balm that we put, we put on our, uh, our, our stuff. It was like a, a, gosh, it was aloe and some lidocaine and some things like this that, that was meant to help us in that time. During, the time, during this time, when somebody was sick in these ways, one of the things you would do for someone who was sick is you would put, put oil, pour oil on their head. In fact, we see this in Luke 10, 34, when in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you remember when the Good Samaritan finds the man who's beaten uh, half to death in the side of the, on the side of the road, what does he do? He, he takes him up, he, uh, he, he binds his wounds, and he, uh, and, he, and he uses wine and oil. He anoints him with wine and oil. Why, why wine? Well, wine is an antiseptic. Wine has alcohol in it, and it, and it, and it helps... Um, clean out the wounds and oil, well, that would have been a medicine to help promote healing in that way. 
But we see anointing somebody with oil isn't, doesn't just have a medical purpose, but we know that all throughout the Bible, anointing is used, um, uh, anointing with oil. We see this in all, the, all throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. There's a, spiritual, there's a spiritual element to this as well. And anointing them in the Lord would have this clear spiritual element to it, which is the picture when you're doing this is you're setting them apart. You are devoting them to the Lord. You are saying to this person, when, you, when you're anointing them with oil, we're saying, God, we give this person to you. We set this person apart from you. God, we are asking you to work. Now, is this something we do at Berean, you might ask? The answer is absolutely yes. If you want to, uh, if at any point, you want me or any of the other church leaders to come around you and pray for you, we will do that. If you want us to put, anoint your head with oil, we will absolutely do that. Now, I don't, I don't usually carry a bottle of oil around with me, um, but I will, uh, this is something we will gladly do. Now, is there something magical about this oil? I think sometimes um, in the church, there can be like a, a view of these things, like there's some somehow magical, like a Harry Potter potion that if you just anoint them with the right oil and you just do these sorts of things, then everything will go well for you. But no, the oil is, is, uh, is meant to be, uh, to be pointing back to the Spirit's work in their life. We see, by the way, when, the, when, when David was anointed with oil, what happens? The Spirit rushes upon him. The, no, the oil's not magical, but it's, it's in, in a lot of ways... It's like fasting. Fasting has, uh, is something we do that's physical that, that helps us engage in a spiritual way. There is a physical action of not eating food that, connects a, that, that helps us recognize the spiritual reality of our need for Christ, and it pushes us, uh, our hunger pains push us to more and deeper and deeper prayer in God. In the same way, when we anoint our, uh, anoint our heads with oil, we are in, in using a physical action to uh, engage in a spiritual reality. So there's no need to carry a bottle of oil with you everywhere. There's no need to anoint every room you come into. Um, I, think, I think this is something that we, uh, we, we, we do it as a clear representation. And this isn't something that, uh, that, that it, you know, I, I don't think we see in any of, any of the healings in the New Testament. The closest thing we see is, you know, Paul's handkerchief that doesn't have oil, maybe some of the oil from his face. But that's the closest thing we might see to this, see to this in the healings. None of the healings in the New Testament have this oil being put on their heads. So what do, we, what do we know from that? It's not necessary for healing. Rather, it's, a, it's a, something that's pointing us to setting the, 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 setting the person apart so that the healing might come from God and not from some mystical action that we're taking. Anytime we make the oil some sort of special, important thing like that is the second we start losing the kind of the underlying purpose of it. All right, so let's get into verse 15, where I want to I run through this. Um, uh, um, this, this is some of, one of the harder um, verses in, in, the, in this text to go through. It says, uh, 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 let's, read, let's read verse 15. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord, uh, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So let's, let's, just, let's just unpack this right at first. What is the prayer of faith? At the beginning, it says the prayer of faith. Now, many of you guys have heard this talked about. And kids, you might see this at times where somebody says, if you just pray and you don't have any doubt in your mind, then God will answer that prayer. In fact, 
there are people, modern healers, if you will, out there who, uh, who, pray, who will say something like this. They'll come to you and uh, you might see them on TV or you might hear about them in different ways. And they'll say, if you pray and you don't have any doubt, if there's no doubt in your heart, then you will be healed. And if they pray for you and they pray with you and they pray for your healing and you're not healed, then someone must have doubted. And it's not them usually, right? So it, not only are you still sick, but now you are feeling the shame connected to, I guess I'm sick because I still had doubt in my heart. However, this can't be the case. This can't be the case because we see a healing where Jesus actually sort of indirectly deals with this. This is in Mark chapter 9, where there's a man who has a, an oppressed son, and his son is struggling in all these ways. And, uh, and, and Jesus says, do you have faith? And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. That's how many of us feel when we're praying for healing. I believe, help my unbelief. Did this man pray with no doubts? Well, we see that he clearly had doubts. He's struggling with it. He's struggling with his doubts. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, well, you didn't have, believe 100%, so I'm sorry. Your son's still going to stay oppressed. No. He brings healing. Jesus heals him. Without going into too much more depth than this, there's also people who think the prayer of faith, they think of this, means like command mode prayers. And while they're, it, uh, where, where they, they come in and they, somebody has cancer and they say, I rebuke that tumor in the name of Jesus. Tumor, you leave right now. Now, I'm not trying to beat up on this. There is some evidence scripturally for something like this that are mostly descriptive in scripture where we see some things like this maybe happening a little bit. But the picture we see here isn't of something like that. This is the, the elders coming, praying over you, anointing your head with oil, and offering you up to the Lord in that way. So what is the prayer of faith if it's not that? Well, I think it's a prayer that says, in all outcomes, Jesus, in all outcomes, God, I trust you. I have faith and I believe that you can heal me uh, now if it's for your glory. But ultimately, I know you will heal me no matter what, because one day uh, my body will be perfected in glory and there will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. I will be with you forever in my new body in New Jerusalem. So verse 15 says, uh, uh, the prayer of faith will save the one who is physically sick or, or spiritually sick. Um, and the Lord will raise them and forgive them of their sins if they've committed them, or uh, forgive them of their sins there. So, so does God um, always grant healing when people pray this way? When people pray in faith, does God always bring healing this way? Well, I think that just can't be the case. We, we see oftentimes in Scripture where um, we see Trophimus is left in Miletus because he was sick. Does that mean Paul or, or, or Trophimus didn't have enough faith to heal him there? What about Timothy when Paul is telling Timothy to take medicine for his stomach? But Timothy should have just had, shouldn't he have just prayed the prayer of faith so he'd be healed? You, you, could go, you could go on. Even the apostle Paul, what does he say? He says, I prayed three times that this messenger of Satan and this thorn in my flesh would be healed. And what did God do? God said, no, my, my, what, but my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So God does not always heal in this way. Obviously, we know that. So, uh, so what is James pointing out? Well, I think in uh, verse 15, he's pointing out that for anyone who trusts God in faith, though we are broken, we will be saved, uh, uh, we'll be saved if we trust in Jesus, and we'll be raised up in New Jerusalem, and we'll be forgiven of our sins. Now, 
I don't, I don't want to miss this because I think uh, this, is, this is dangerous territory about going in. So kids, I want, you to put on, I, want, I want you to put on your thinking caps with me here because this is not easy to understand. And I want you to hear what I'm saying and I'm going to try to make it clear so you don't miss what I'm saying. There is a, there is a connection biblically between sin and sickness, whether that be spiritual sickness or physical sickness. In fact, in verse 15 and verse 16, um, Paul clearly sort of makes that connection. Here, how do we see that? We say, we, or not Paul, James, clearly makes that connection. He says that you would save the sick, and then later when they confess their sins, he says that they might be healed. It's interesting that he says when they confess their sins, they would be healed, and when, uh, and, and when they, uh, uh, and, and that they might be saved from their sickness. Well, he's intentionally, I think, uh, James, knowing the way he writes, he's intentionally connecting these two things. Because you would expect it to be the office, that you would be saved from your sins and that you would be healed from your sickness, right? But all sickness in this world is because of sin. Not necessarily a specific sin, but because of sin in general. That uh, all sickness is a result of the fall. Sometimes there is a clear connection between certain sicknesses and sin. You think of gluttony, obviously, creating, uh, creating all sorts of sicknesses connected with it. Um, physical things like this, alcoholism or drug addiction or hedonistic behavior. But most sickness you endure isn't because of a specific sin you have committed, but because of sin in general. You think of Job. Job's friends, uh, God called them basically not so, not so smart because they, be, because they were saying, well, Job, you're sick and bad things are happening to you, so you must have sinned in your life. And Job's like, no, that's not why I'm going through this. So we know that, it's, that when you're going through sickness, it's not necessarily because you have some sort of thing like this. But however, we do know that certain, certain sins definitely connect you to certain types of sickness. But all sin um, allowed to live in your life will, create, will wreak havoc on your, your, uh, your body and your soul. And as followers of Jesus, when we are wandering away from Jesus, we can expect unhealthy consequences in our life. We can expect to be weak in some way or possibly even physically weak in these ways. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, verse 28 through 30, we see the apostle Paul making a clear connection between people who were sinning in the way they were taking the Lord's Supper and them being physically and emotionally ill and some of them even dying. Again, this isn't to say that sick, all sickness is connected to a specific sin that you or I commit, but that sin always leads to death and destruction. And that we, if we are living in perennial sin, that we should expect that, um, that we won't, we shouldn't expect that we will come out of that sin unscathed. Now getting to the heart of our text. This is where we wanted to get to. Verses 16. Therefore, remember, it's interesting that almost all these one another statements come right after a therefore. I just love that. Um, therefore, confess to one another and pray for one another. These are the two commands that he gives. So what is, what is confession? We talked about that. Why, we, we talked about what it is, which is speaking the truth about yourself. Well, there are, I, I think there are two types of confession that we're called to make. And uh, I think Paul or uh, James might be alluding to both of them, but he's clearly morally foc- more focusing on one. Confessing to others you've sinned against is one way we confess. When, we've sin- when I've sinned against you, um, it, is, it is my duty as a follower of Jesus, when I know I've sinned against you, to come to you and confess my sin, to repent of my sin, and to seek reconciliation and restoration. Now, this isn't, pri- I don't think, primarily what, what James is talking about here, uh, um, though, though that's probably somewhat in mind. But 
um, what he's talking about here is confessing sin struggles to trusted brothers and sisters. So why do this? Well, I like to think of it like this. First, when you do this, when, when, you, when, you, when, when you confess your sin, it's like you're fighting in the light rather than fighting in the darkness. I say this often to, to young men. You're only as free as you are honest. Fighting the light helps you alleviate the shame and the guilt and the fear of getting caught in your, in your sin. And it helps you to walk by faith and actually begin to walk in victory over your sin. I think of it like this. Um, we went, uh, the first year of the pandemic, I took some students up on a hike on top of uh, uh, the Kashavarov Ridge. And, uh, and it was a wet, wet hike. We, we, we had hoped that it would be a nice sunny hike, but it was not. It was wet. It was nasty. It was, uh, our, our, everybody's feet were absolutely destroyed. And there was one kid who wore uh, maybe not the best shoes for this. And, uh, and when she got to our first night's camp after about 10 miles of hiking, um, she, uh, uh, she got there and she took, uh, she took her shoes off and she noticed that her feet were absolutely, totally destroyed. Now, at first, I know her, her uh, um, she, I know she didn't want to say anything because she was, she wore socks and she didn't tell anybody, but the next day we were going to hike uh, a few more miles up to the top of Center Mountain. And, uh, and, and in preparing for that, she, she had to come and, and, and expose this to some of our first aid people. And when she, when they said, they're like, you're not going to be able to make the hike the next day. We're so, we're so sorry. Your feet are absolutely destroyed. There was blisters. There was blood. There was all sorts of cuts and things like this. And she had just toughed it out. Now, had she kept on just, you know, tightened her, tightened her, uh, you know, her bootstraps, um, and just kept going, ultimately that, that wound would have festered and they would have caused infection. It would likely caused a pretty big sickness in her life. But her exposing it to the light, her showing it to others and letting them help her allowed her to begin to get first aid. And that's what, when you confess to others, oftentimes that's what it's doing is it's exposing it to the light and it's allowing them to help you. It's like, you know, I, I like to think of kids, you, you think of this, like when you, when you get sick, what do your parents do? They oftentimes, um, what are the, they oftentimes get the peroxide out when you get a cut, right? Or this isn't a peroxide. This is actually the really, really stingy stuff. This is alcohol. But they, they wipe it with an antiseptic, right? The septic. They get it clean so that it doesn't get infected. And then what do they do? They, they, sometimes they'll put like a, um, some sort of cream on it that will help it heal. And then they, they cover it. They bandage the wound. And, they, and, and, and oftentimes they'll, they'll help you if, if that wound is in a way that's, you know, if you have a wound that's causing you to not be able to do things, they'll help you along. In the same way, when we confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it enlists their help. It helps you, for when, you, when, you, when you enlist other people's help, it helps you know that you're not alone in your struggle. That it helps them to bear your burden with you so that you're not the only one who knows about your struggles. Second, they can pray for you effectively. I can pray for you right now in general, each one of you, and I can make some educated guesses about what you might be struggling with. But unless I know specifically what's going on in your life, it's hard for me to pray very specifically and effectively asking God for very specific things in your life unless I know where your struggles are, unless I know what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean we should share all of our struggles with everyone. I'm just saying the people you confess your sins to, they can pray for you very effectively. They can also celebrate wins with you when you have victory over sin, when you, when you had victory over temptation, and they can mourn um, uh, defeats with you and help pick you up so you don't walk around in this shame spiral. Another thing that confession to uh, others does is it strengthens our ability to have victory over sin. It's, it seems pretty obvious here, but when, when others are praying for you, 
that you're, you're, it's likely that the Spirit is, like, we know that God uses prayers, the prayers of his people, to do much. And, and when they pray for you, it's often times that you're going to see your strength be uh, increased in this area. More than this, they can provide accountability, encouragement. Uh, they can provide, uh, uh, inc- uh, like, admonishment at times and even help when you need it. So if you want to actually begin to have victory over sin in your life, maybe there's a sin in your life that's just hidden. Maybe there's something you, you, you know you're doing and you know it's wrong and you know you shouldn't be doing it and you, you want it out of your life, but you, there's, you, you have so much shame and so much guilt connected to it that you just don't, you don't know how to let it go. I would say one of the first things doing is going to the Lord and saying, God, I'm in the middle of the struggle, and then finding a trusted brother or sister in Christ and confessing that to them. And, and, and somebody who you know will pray for you, somebody who you know will encourage you and help you and admonish you as you walk, seek to walk faithfully in Jesus. 16, the second half of 16, it says, pray for one another. Prayer makes a dent in the world. Prayer is the means by which God has chosen to enact his will on the earth. Let me say that again. Prayer is the means by which God has chosen to enact his will on this earth. That means we, we believe that God does his will on the earth through the prayers of his people. This is how he has chosen to do it. Spurgeon said it like this. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the hand of the Almighty. When you pray for others, when you pray for those who are confessing their sins to you, when you pray with, with effective prayers for them, prayers that are actually um, praying for the things that they need in this moment, it genuinely changes things. And it will bring healing in their life. Then verse 16c, this third part of 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person um, has great power. I love the King James. I, I don't know if you guys any of you ever memorized uh, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much in the eyes of the Lord. You guys know what I'm saying? Um, this is, this is that, 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 that thing there. The prayers of a righteous person. Now you might say, huh, well, never mind. I shouldn't pray at all. I'm not righteous. I would not consider myself righteous. But here's the beauty. If you are in Christ, you are righteous because Christ has imputed or given his righteousness to you. So therefore, yeah, uh, that's why we are called saints, in Christ. We, that's, why, that's why we say we have a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that has been given to us through Christ. So you are righteous. So your prayer does change things. It does make a difference. It does have great power in this world. In fact, James goes so far as to connect the, what you're doing in your prayer life to what Elijah did in his prayer life. Now, kids, you guys, this past Wednesday, we studied Elijah. Do you guys remember this? You guys remember Elijah? What was his, what, 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 do you remember what was going on? He had, he had prayed and uh, he had went to King, what was his King, uh, what was his name? Was it, what was his name? You guys remember, kids? Who was the king that, that he prayed to? Or, I mean, that he, that he talked to? It, yeah, it was, I believe, that was the golden cows. That was the one before. That was, that was a different king. That was King Jeroboam. But this is, get, this was King Ahab. He prayed to King Ahab. Nobody wanted to say that. I get it. It's hard to remember. He, or he prayed, and, uh, and he told King Ahab, not prayed to King Ahab, but he prayed before King Ahab, and he, and he said, it's not going to rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And, and then, after these three and a half years, lots of stuff goes on in the middle. I don't want to get into it. But, um, but then, at the end of the three years, then there's this showdown between 
uh, God or Yahweh and who? What's the other God's name who there was a showdown with? You guys remember, kids? You guys were kingdom kids? Was it Baal? That's right. It was Baal. So there was this, there was a showdown between God and Baal. And then uh, God shows up in this magnificent way. And God, and and all the people are saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then uh, Elijah sends his servant and Elijah prays for rain. Here's what's interesting. Elijah prays for rain and he sends a servant. He says, look out for a cloud. See if you see a cloud. And his servant comes back and says, there ain't no cloud, Elijah. And then he says, no, no, he prays again and he goes back and they, they do this over and over and over again until ultimately the, the guy says, well, I see a little cloud. It's like the size of my fist on the horizon. He's like, it's going to rain. And Elijah, that, that's when Elijah runs on the mountain. There's this whole thing that goes on after this. But we got, uh, uh, what James is doing in, in connecting uh, Elijah's story, Elijah's prayer to our prayers, he's saying, Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. You're just like Elijah. You can pray prayers that will make that kind of a dent in this world. Elijah prayed after three years, and God poured out rain on the earth. You're like Elijah. You have a nature just like Elijah. You are, just, you are, not, you are not of a different species than him. God can and will use the prayers of his people to make a difference in this world. So pray. Pray for one another. If God, if God can use you to close up the, the heavens for three and a half years and to make it rain, if God could use you to do that, how much, like, it doesn't seem impossible that he might, through your prayers, help your friend who is struggling with different sins actually have victory over that. It, it, it makes sense that he might use your prayers to draw somebody into the kingdom of God. There's a great evangelist of, uh, of the last century named D.L. Moody. Many of you guys have heard of him. D.L. Moody carried a list uh, of 100 people around with him everywhere he went from the time he was a young man. And for 50 years, he prayed for, uh, not 50 people, 100 people. Did I say 50? I meant to say 100. Um, he had, had a list of 100 people that he prayed for every, uh, every day. He prayed for these people's salvation. These 100 people who were far from God. And the time of D.L. Moody's death 96 out of those 100 had come to know and trust in Jesus. Now I might say, ha, it's only 96, Matt. Well, at his funeral, the four who didn't know Jesus were there and came to know and trust Jesus at his funeral. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much in the eyes of the Lord. God can and will use the prayers of his people to transform this world for his glory. God has chosen to use the prayers of his people to enact his will on the earth. We have not because we ask not. Pray for one another. Pray for your brothers and sisters as they struggle with sin. Pray for brothers and sisters as as, as they walk faithfully. Pray for each other. Pray that God can and would do mighty things in and through us. Kind of finishing this up. We are all called to be confessors. People who confess. There's nobody in here who isn't called to confess their sins to a, a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ. People who never confess, uh, pe- people who, uh, when, like I, I've, I've had this happen before where I've been in a discipleship group with somebody and I ask them about their sin struggle. I'll be like, hey, how can I pray for you? What's going on with your sin struggle? And for months and months and months on end, I go, wow, you know, um, mm, I don't know. And I'm like, I, I'll share my sin struggles and it'll be like, thing, 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 all these sin struggles that I'm struggling with. And they'll be like, ah, maybe I could... Maybe I could be nicer at work. People who never 
confess their sins to others are either hiding something or are blind to their sin. If you're hiding something, you know it. And what I say before, you're only as free as, as, as you are honest. The only, you, you, you want the, 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 the fact that you're still hiding this sin, the fact that you know you're struggling with this sin and you're not uh, confessing that to a brother, you're not letting, allow them to pray for you, you are saying to them that, that you either don't trust them with this, which, is, which, which might be the case, or more likely that I can deal with this on my own. Or maybe you're blind to it. And this is where you go to the Lord and you say, when somebody asks you about your sin struggle and you don't have anything to say, you might say, uh, either, either you're the, like I, I used to tell students this all the time when I would ask them about their sin struggle and they'd be like, I don't know, I don't really think I'm struggling with anything. And I'd be like, dude, you're like the holiest person I've ever met. Like I've never met somebody who hasn't struggled with sin in, in a whole week. And they'd be like, well, no, I obviously struggle with sin. Well, what sin? What, how can I pray for you? I don't know. And oftentimes it's because they're blind to their sin. And you pray, you pray something like this. God, search me, know me, and show me any iniquity within me. Who should you confess to? Well, people you see who are actually following Jesus. Maybe the, the easiest way to find those people, they're, they're usually in small groups or in little prayer groups that you meet in. They're, they're sometimes in D groups where you get together, people who are, who are intentionally sharpening one another in the Lord. Or just trusted people in the Lord who you've seen walk faithfully in Jesus. Get together with them. Talk with them. Pray with them. Connect with them. Get in community with one another. Not only are we all called to be confessors, we're all called to be prayers. Praying for one another in our sin struggles. Praying for wanderers. We see this at the end, right? There are those who will wander. And when they are wandering, we prayerfully, lovingly go after them to bring them back, saving them from the pain and death that their sin causes. So we pray for one another in our sin struggles. We pray for those who are wandering and we pray that the Lord would heal and restore and save those who are ensnared by sin. I, can, I, I do believe that in this room, there is the power to transform this community for God's glory. Why? Because God has chosen to use the prayers of righteous people and those of you who are trusting in Jesus, that's you, to enact his will on this earth. And God can and will do anything, can, can do anything for his glory. And I believe that it's God's will to do mighty works here in Kodiak, Alaska. I believe that it's God's will that, that, God, that, that, that many would come to know and trust Jesus, that a community might be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Uh, and I believe that oftentimes we have not because we ask not. We don't go to the Lord and actually pray. We're not actually honest about our sin struggles. We're not actually trying to become more like Christ, but rather we're, we're living in this place of isolation in our sin and impotence in our prayer. My hope and my prayer is, is that we wouldn't live that way. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, would you, God, would you help us to become a church that genuinely, genuinely opens ourselves up to one another, that genuinely heals and restores one another? Lord, would you help us to be a church that, that listens with grace, that cares for one another, that encourages those who, who are discouraged, Lord, that helps those who are weak, God, that admonishes those who are wandering. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be a church that genuinely, uh, where, where, where we feel safe enough to open our hearts up to one another and to share our struggles. Lord, would you also help us to be a church that prays genuinely, earnestly for one another. 
Lord, where, where, where sin is being defeated, God, because it is seen and acknowledged, but also because, Lord, we, Lord, because the prayer, people are, are praying, and Lord, you are empowering us through the prayers of people, Lord. We know that God, as, as odd as it seems, as crazy as it is to us, Lord, you use the prayers of your people to enact your will on this earth. And Lord, I thank you, God, for the privilege of taking part in your great work on this earth. Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, you would help us to take part even more as we seek to walk faithfully in you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.